we're kind of starting. Actually, Mike last week started a actually a, a, a final section, or some some have considered in uh, Romans chapter six. So, with that in mind, I'm going to kind of go back and try to put it in place, <clears throat> uh, chapter six, and kind of show you the big picture, of chapter six, and how this last last section fits in. So, I've labeled this section "Slaves of Righteousness." And you'll see how that fits in as we get into the text here. So, so let's look. This is going to be a, a three-part overview of Romans chapter 6. And this is from our friend um, Chester McCauley. And I, I took some liberties with that. I changed some things around a little bit. But it, it preserves the same thought. So, that, so he looked at uh, Romans chapter 6 as follows. The first section is wonderful information. We have this wonderful inf- information we have, and actually I've counted 18 statements about who we are in Christ in, the, in those 10 verses. And, and we're going to go through those briefly, <laughs> thankfully, we will be here for a long time. But, um, so the first section is this wonderful information that we've gotten. Then the, the middle section, if you will, 11 through 14, is really exhortation. It's about you have this wonderful union with Christ Here's how you should act based upon your union in Christ. So we'll review that, which was Jim read. And then lastly, this new section, which starts in verse 15, which Mike started last week, is what Macaulay calls explanation. Uh, you know, it was, that's an okay definition. I don't know. It, it, he is explaining things, but it's a lot about this picture we're going to see about slavery, and the contrast between slavery to sin, the sin nature, and slavery to Christ. And just contrasting those two. So with that in mind, we're going to do a brief review here, go through each of those, those three sections. Okay, so I have two charts on, uh, so one through five. I've used this before. I went through uh, one through ten, and I kind of pulled out 18 separate statements and I kind of highlighted them with numbers, the, the, the verse numbers. So let's go. So the first one is, it starts off with a statement, and we're going to see this statement in verse 15. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May, may it never be. How shall, and here's the first statement, how shall we, speaking of Paul and all believers who died to sin or these sin natures still live in it? So that starts this wonderful list. So it says, Or do you not know you've been baptized into Christ Jesus? Um, and you've been baptized into his death? Therefore, you have been buried with him through baptism into death. And remember, baptism is this wonderful word. Um, uh, um, it's, it's not actually, trans- it's actually baptizo in the original. It's, it's immersion, placed into. We're now in union with our Savior. So all this is this wonderful information that Paul is giving us about our, who we are in Christ or our position in Christ. Uh, so that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too might walk in this newness of life. That's basically walking in Christ's life. So we're, we're just getting all these wonderful things, one after another. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, we shall be also in the likeness of the resurrection. So we got the first eight here. And we go on to the next ten. Knowing this, that our old self, for old man better, was crucified with him. In order that, with the purpose that, our body of sin 
might be done away with and not the best, you know, put in idol, taken offline. You know, all this, you know, we can start over again on this. <laughs> I was thinking on this last night, I say, we can start over in this again and do this again, write through these verses again and still have lots to say. And so keep going so that you would no longer be slaves to sin. That's going to be very appropriate for setting this today. He who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we should also live with him, knowing that uh, Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And because we're in union with him, it no longer has mastery over us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Just, just incredible. 18, I counted, if you count those 18 statements about who we are in Christ, what we have, this, this is our, this is our resume. This is our spiritual resume of what we have in our Savior. So then what Paul does, after giving us that wonderful resume, he tells us some things that we should do based upon what we have. What's in our resume? He says, we start off, even so, consider or reckon yourselves to be dead, to thee, thee sin nature, but alive to God. On one hand, you reckon yourself dead. On the other hand, you reckon, and actually by the context, you could put that word reckon in front of, but alive to God, or consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lust. Do not. Go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be master over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. So just here, so here's these marvelous exhortations. So now we have the last, last half of this, um, Epistle, starting in verse 15, and we're going to talk about that, but, but this last half, 15 through 20, 23, uh, is the last half, and it has some interesting things. At first you look at it and you say, it seems a little confusing, and it was confusing to me, but you, the more you look, the more you kind of dig in, uh, it, it made sense. Okay, so we see, a, and Mike pointed this out last week, <clears throat> we see a comparison between uh, verse 1 in chapter 6 and verse 15. So verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And Paul's response to this is, and it will be in both cases, may it never be. And, you know, here he's speaking of, you look at the tense of the verse, it's continual habitual sin. And, you know, and, and this is kind of a, a question that seems like he's answering from a, an audience, if you will, uh, they say, well, you know, if grace is so marvelous, if grace, God's grace is so abounding, I can just sin as much as I want. I can just go on, and the more I sin, the more grace I'll have, so why not do it? And so that seems to be the, uh, the idea here. Uh, and, but, but the point we come away with after looking at those 18 statements, we've now been separated from our sin nature. So why in the world will we ever want to go back and, and sin? Why would we ever want to do that? We wouldn't want to do that. Let me come along with verse 15 that we're starting with. Uh, and it says, very similar phraseology, What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? 
And the, the same response, may it never be. But in this case, we're talking about uh, uh, an act of sin, a particular sin that may occur in your life, whereas Elmo was a, a practice, if you will, habitual nature. So we're going to see uh, in 16 and following, uh, he'll expand on this idea. Why, why is grace, why is great, uh, not living under law, but living under grace so marvelous? Why is that the case? And so just to kind of put that in context, um, you know, uh, the question comes up, and you know, and I, I listened to what Mike did last week, and then I listened to Macaulay a little bit. The, the question about this is in the forefront is, how are we going to control sin? It's kind of the question kind of underlying this. And these answers that Paul gave are kind of, you know, people are saying, well, you know, we don't need to control sin because grace is just going to cover it and I'm good. And grace is kind of downplayed or, or made to be foolish. I had a friend at my work uh, many years ago. He was actually a Jewish guy. I had come back from overseas and I had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ at that point and I was, I shared my faith with him. He says, well, you're, you're all about that free grace stuff. You just want all that free grace, you know, and he kind of, he belittles, he makes it small, makes it of no value. Well, that's kind of these questions, but grace is this marvelous thing. So Paul's going to show us why his grace is so marvelous in these verses and he's going to do it under the, under the picture of slavery, slavery to sin and slavery to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I was thinking about, and Mike did this last week, you know, you, how, do we, how does man control sin? Well, Mike points out, and I think others have pointed out, you, you put uh, um, a stop sign at every intersection, you put a policeman at every intersection. Well, well folks, I have some groundbreaking news. I live in this uh, subdivision called Antelope. I know Phil's been looking out in that area too, he's looking for a place. So Antelope has, has solved this problem. What they've done is they've controlled the speeding sin nature. So what they've done is they put in speed bumps. So there are between, I live a quarter of a mile from Arapahoe Road to my house. Within that quarter mile, there's one stop sign and three speed bumps. So they've controlled, they've controlled the sin nature and they have a sign that says 25 miles an hour. So they've controlled the sin nature. So, so is that, you know, that's kind of where Paul's leading to. Law's not going to cut it. You can have all the laws, you can, you know, just go crazy. And my subdivision, Antelope, has solved, they think they've solved the problem. There's still people that still come over those speed bumps. They can, they'll just go fast and launch their car. <laughs> but they just keep on going. <laughs> right. So, um, so, so what, what Paul wants to show us, he wants to show us that grace... Is a, is a way to do it. It makes a difference, and and the the other picture is by the slavery. Slavery is a master, and the and so we have two masters. We have the mastery of of sin, the sin nature, and the mastery of the Holy Spirit or of Christ. However you want to look at it, we have we have Christ as our master, or our sin nature as our master. And he's going to spend a lot of time talking about that contrast as we go through here. Okay, so let's start off here. And this, I'm going to go back and review this, this verse again because it's so important to start this section. So he starts out, Paul often does this, he'll say, do you not know? And what he's saying is, you do know. <laughs> you know this, guys. You know, you say, you know this, right? You know it. You know this. That. And, and the phraseology here, I found, 
it seems kind of strange because the idea of presenting yourself, I think of, I'm presenting myself right now. I'm, I'm doing a presentation, right? Well, this talks about presenting yourself as a slave. And you think, well, boy, slavery sounds kind of not like a lot of fun, right? But what he's saying is, you do this whether you realize it or not. You present yourself as a slave for obedience in one of two ways. And he's going to explain that as we go through this. So this word for you know is oida, which is one of the couple words that is oida and gnosko. So this is something that you know inherently. You knew it in the past. It's a perfect tense. You knew it in the past. You continue to know it into the present. Uh, you know this, that you present yourselves, present tense, continuous action, slaves resulting in obedience. So that, that's, uh, that what you present yourself to will be controlling you. So the believer is pictured here as a slave rendering obedience. And we're going to see this word obedience in this text. Here is this great word to listen under. And boy, that certainly helps me when I think about obedience. You know, I think about obedience in terms of my children and how I was a child. And if I was an obedient child, I did what my parents said. But it, but this is so much more personal to me. This is listening under. I'm listening under what God has to say. I'm listening to what he has to say. And when he says it, and I believe it, it's wonderful. It's not a, it's not a, um, uh, a burden. And our Savior had that same view, right? He says, I always do what I hear the Father um, uh, saying, or what, what the Father tells me. He never, there never was a disconnect. He listened under his Father. He was obedient to his Father. But what's interesting is the word obedient, I, I haven't found that when I look through the interchange between the, the Lord Jesus and the Father, he doesn't use the word obedience. He says, I always do what the Father is doing. I always listen to the Father. I always, he, that's a phraseology. So the idea of obedience as listening under is just a wonderful thing. So we listen under. We listen under one of two masters. So let's go into that. And you show, you show the master. Uh, you show, I can't read that right. You show... Your master by whom you obey, or whom you listen under. Okay, so the middle part, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, as I said. A couple of points here. A slave is one who must be obedient to his master, by definition. We're going to define it in a little bit, and Mike defined it really well last week. A slave is one who has no choice in the matter. And you might ch- chafe a little bit at that, but here's a verse for you right here. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Think about that, and then we'll go on here. But the believer, we know, is a, we're a willing slave, right? We willingly trusted Christ. But here's a verse that kind of speaks to that. But as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And this wonderful thing about listening under, being willing to listen to what our Savior has to say, but you... But the wonderful part, you become a slave to Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful sense of that. Okay, so let's go on here. So let, let's look at the two choices here. You are slaves of the one you obey. Either, on one side, either of the sin, the sin nature resulting in death. Or obedience, and I put in Christ there, resulting in righteousness. So under the of death resulting in sin, the sin nature is is the master. 
the result of this master, right, is death, as the, as the verse says, or separation. And, we, and we're going to say at the very last, of the, the summary verse at the end of this chapter is, uh, for, death, for, the, uh, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first part of that verse. On the obedience side to Christ, Christ is a master. Uh, the result of this master is righteousness. And uh, in Philippians it tells us, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Our righteousness comes, it's Christ's righteousness. The way we've gotten that is by faith, by trusting him as our Savior. So there's the two choices, the two directions we can go here. So now we go on to today's verses. So I'm just going to cover two verses today, and we're going to see how this fits in. Um, Let me just read them again. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So this actually starts another, uh, and I, Macaulay pointed this out, which I thought was just his, his, uh, his outlining abilities in Scripture are just outstanding. So here, here's how he approached, um, starting in 17 to the end of the chapter, here's how he kind of approached that. He approached it with three sections. So I'm going to call it a subsection, and it's about something has taken place, and you've been something has changed in the believer's life. You know, based upon those wonderful truths we've studied in the first part of Romans, that you've been separated from your sin nature. The ball, the ball game has changed, so to speak. So we're going to see that three transformations have taken place, three distinct ones, as it will be mentioned in 17 through 22. Okay, 17 and 18 talk about a transformation in relationship. And let's see if I can talk about that. The idea is we once were that and what we are now. We once were this. We once were a slave to the sin nature, right? And now we're a slave to Christ. And I'm just going to say that. I got ahead of myself here. You were slaves of sin. And in what the verse says, we just read, you were slaves of sin versus you became slaves of righteousness. So that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that tracks through. There are two other parts to this we're going to cover in the coming weeks. But that's for today. You were slaves of sin. You became slaves of righteousness. Okay. So he starts off. So what's neat is, you know, we've had, we've had all this wonderful information. And we see that, that uh, our slavery to sin. And he, so he starts off with just thanking God for that. He's going to thank God just for what, what has transpired what God has done for the believer. But thanks be to God and be is supplied. So that's the verb in this sentence here. But, but thanks be to God. So Paul, he uses this term many times. One of the cases in, it's in Corinthians where he says, but thanks be to God who always, who leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. That, so the, so the rest of this verse is going to kind of be why he's thanking God or the, the rationale for thanking God the rest of this verse and actually into the next verse so this is this is one long sentence 17 and 18 or one one extended sentence that though you were slaves of, of the sin or the sin nature uh, that word though though you were is actually or could be translated you used to be this is he's going to describe where you came from this is where you came from and then he's going to tell us where, where we are now. So you used to be, Amy, 
And that's, that's in this tense, not used too often. It's the imperfect tense. It's con- continuous action in past time. So in past time, you were continually in this state as a slave of sin. And that's actually no, you know, that's, that's a wonderful part. We re- once we become a believer, we realize that. It's, it's getting our unbelieving friends to realize that they're in this state of continual slavery to sin. They're there whether they feel like they're the freest person in the world. They can, I'm free as a bird. I can do whatever I want. They may seem that way, but you're not. Scripture says absolutely not. You're a slave of the sin, your sin nature. And, and this, this is a cool verse to point that out. It's kind of buried in the rest of these verses. But uh, So you're a slave. To, you were. That's where you were. And you do loss. Mike defined it several times. I, I like the one from Vine here. One who gives himself up to the will of another. So it's, it's easy to see in the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, wow, that's just wonderful. We've given ourselves up to our Savior. We've, we're now his slave. We're willing his slave. In terms of the sin nature, it's not as pretty or it's not as, it's certainly not comforting. It's, you know, it's disgusting many times. You, you say, here I did it again, right? <laughs> I did it again. Why did I do that? Anyway, why did I keep my mouth shut? That's my problem many times. Keep my mouth shut, I'd be a lot better off. <laughs> okay. But you, but you gotta say something. You can't just never say it. So you gotta, Lord, <laughs> tame my mouth. <laughs> anyway. So doulos, slavery, identifies who the believer was. This is who you were. This before you were saved. This is who you were. And you were a slave of the sin nature. That's where you were. And here's what happened. You became, you became obedient. You became obedient, and it says from the heart. So obedience, the idea, and this is this is my my favorite word here. It's a compound Greek word. It's to under, hip, hip, hupo, okuo, to hear, to listen under. Just a beautiful word. To listen under. You became obedient. You listened under. It's in the aorist tense. So this is just really cool. Aorist tense means it speaks of an event. So this is speaking of, of this wonderful event in the believer's life. Indicative is it's a fact or reality. Active, you performed the action. You trusted. You believed. So this is talking about, as a person, you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. Uh, and it was from the heart. It says you became obedient from the heart. Isn't it interesting? And we noticed this in, um, I think it was in Hebrews. Mike can correct me here. But um, about the heart. How, how, you know, the heart is so linked with how you believe in Scripture. And I, I, may, I can't think exactly what the things we did in Hebrews there, but it kind of st- struck me, that the heart, okay? It's ek, out, out of, or, and a beautiful verse here in Romans 10.10, uh, 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And it goes on, but the first part, With the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. So the scripture talks about our heart, uh, you know, it's, it's a metaphor, you know, uh, speaking about that's the center, that's what we believe with our heart. And we use that expression many times. That, that person doesn't have their heart in it, or that's a heartfelt whatever. We use that terminology a lot. But scripture says we believe with our heart. So this, we became obedient. We listen under God's word from the heart. To the form of teaching. 
So, so this is this word tupos form, uh, representative or pattern of something, and is of teaching. Uh, could be some translate doctrine, act of teaching or instruction. So the idea here is that the form of teaching, and Constable says the form of teaching Paul had in mind was the teaching that the Lord Jesus had and his disciples had. That form of teaching, that uh, tupas of teaching, to which you were committed. Committed is the idea to um, delivered orally or by written. And Weiss points out here that the Greek text could be translated form of doctrine or teaching into which you were delivered. And you were delivered, but that form of teaching, that was a gospel, you could say that that form of teaching or doctrine delivered you into salvation. You believed that and you were were saved. And the last part, I'm going to do the the verse reads, and having been freed from sin, the sin nature, you became obedient, you became slaves of righteousness. So if you look at the way that that's structured, you'll see that the first part kind of gives us the key part. You became slaves of righteousness. And once again, you notice all these verbs are something has happened in the past. You became something, you did something, and it resulted in this. In this case, uh, you became a slave. You you, uh, do loss again. and this is aorist tense. Uh, again, it's going, to, it's going to be the same set of uh, aorist tense, indicative. So it's an event, it's reality. And But in this case, this is a work that God did in you. <clears throat> the subject receives the action you received. You received something from God based upon your faith. And it happened at the moment of salvation. You received righteousness. Not your righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Ephesians 6, 6 kind of talks to this. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. So that, that terminology is slaves of Christ or slaves of righteousness, doing the will of God from the heart. Again, the heart's you know, intimately involved in our belief. Okay, then the last part of the verse, or the first part of this, having been freed from sin, and we this has been the recurrent theme through... Just a tremendous part of Romans here. Having been free to make free. Use of deliverance. And this happens to be a participle. Eris participle. I believe the same kind of idea. The moment of salvation is in view here. From the sin or the sin nature. Um, so we're going to see this verse coming up in a couple of weeks. But now, having been freed from the sin, the sin nature, and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Um, Sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Okay, to to kind of finish up here, I just thought I'd give you what um, where where we're headed. So let me show you that. Okay. So, as I pointed out, the the last section, uh, there's really three parts. The first section we just talked about, the the second and third section... Verse 19 and 20 talk about transformation of conduct. And the idea here is that you once... This is all about uh, <clears throat> this change in a believer's life because of no one coming to know Christ. You used to do this once, but now you do this. And, and you used to be slaves to impurity, but now you're slaves to righteousness. So that's the kind of the 19 and 20 talk about that. 
Then 21 and 22 talk about benefits. He uses the word benefit in that. Uh, what is the benefit of going one way versus the benefit of going another way? And we see that in, in this phrase. Things of which you are ashamed. He talks about in uh, 2021, 20 you were ashamed of this. But now things that, things that result in your sanctification. We sound, that's, that's that big word for the Christian life. <laughs> you, things that, that we were ashamed of. Now the things that you, you, you do as a result of, of walking with the Lord and knowing Christ. So that's where we're headed in the next couple of weeks. Um, that's all I have for right now. So let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for our, the blessings we have in our Savior, Lord. We thank you for the book of uh, Romans, especially this chapter 6, Lord, that shows us the wonderful um, things that have happened to every believer, whether he realizes them or he knows them. Um, and you desire that we count upon them and, and uh, walk in those, in those truths, Father. In Christ's name, amen.